Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, good morning, that one person, whoever that was. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> hey, welcome back. Uh, great to be back together um, as we continue our Gospel Reflection series. And um, hey, and, yeah, I like that. I saw a high five over here. Can you just turn to the person next to you? Give them a high five and say, hey, I'm so glad you're here this morning. And if someone's already asleep, have bring that high five across the face, wake them up. <clears throat> all right. Well, hey, so glad, so glad that you're all here. And uh, as we were just praying before the chapel started, uh, recognize that all of you guys are here uh, on purpose. Otherwise, uh, you're here for a reason uh, that is greater, that is deeper, that is more important than just for chapel credit. Um, and so I, I really want to encourage us to really lean in and listen up today um, as we engage with the passage uh, in the Gospels. So before uh, we invite up uh, our speaker this morning and I introduce him, um, I want to share something with you to help prepare our hearts to hear from the Word. And so even right now, I just want to invite you just to, just to settle down, um, just to stop the conversation. We're going to direct our conversation upward together, uh, vertically to our Creator. And uh, I want to simply just invite us to pray through, just briefly, uh, four, four psalms. And I actually, I do this every morning um, before, I, before I open the Word and read through uh, just my, my Bible reading plan that I have. Um, I just pray these words back to the Lord, and it helps prepare my heart to receive and to have a posture of humility and uh, thanksgiving um, and to really receive from the Lord. So, so I just want to invite you just, just to quiet yourself. And uh, I'm just going to read each of these passages and then just give us about, you know, 20 seconds or so uh, just to preach, just to pray them back to the Lord. Um, so the first one's this. Psalm 119, verse 36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Just take a moment right now and ask the Lord to give you a desire for his word. Help him, ask, ask him to silence all of the competing appetites right now in your life. Just ask the Lord, incline my heart to your testimony, to your word. Psalm 119, verse 18 says this, Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual sight, to awaken the eyes of your heart, to behold the wonder of Christ and his word. Just right now,
says we unite our hearts to fear your name ask the lord to give you a healthy reverence and awe of your name but have an undivided focus and allegiance in him and then psalm 90 verse 14 says this satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Pray, even just right now, ask the Lord that he would be the satisfaction of your soul this morning. That we would taste and see his goodness. That we would leave today being re having rejoiced and speaker um, just just two quick announcements um, just a by way of reminder if you have happened to not be here the last two days uh, we did get new uh, chapel scanners installed over uh, spring break and so we actually had two out of outside of door one and then did the same new ones outside of doors three and four um, so make sure that uh, when you do scan out uh, a little later on this morning that you are uh, listening through the beep that means you got it that it accepted if you didn't hear that um, means it didn't go through, so just take some time to go through. Secondly, uh, uh, the, I just want to make, make mention again that, that the spiritual development assistant student leader position, the stipend position, we're hoping to hire two of them. So they'd be working uh, with the spiritual formation department, myself and others, uh, that with things that are happening in chapel and outside of chapel. Those applications are on the rock. Uh, we're gathering those this month and making our selections by the second week of April. So um, uh, if that's interesting to you, make sure to check it out on the rock and then where you can come talk to me or reach out to me. So, all right, this morning, I'm really excited and uh, privileged to uh, introduce our speaker, Pastor Chris Osmus. He uh, actually is a graduate, an alum from Northwestern, graduate in 2015, and this past September, planted Vertical Church St. Paul that meets in Concordia University's at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, and uh, it's an honor to call him my pastor. It's one my wife and I have been going since September, so it's an honor to have him here and to have him back. So, Give him a warm Northwestern alum a welcome to Pastor Chris. And, uh, let's pray for him um, as he speaks to us. Father in heaven, thank you so much 
that we can gather together here in your presence together. And I pray that you, uh, as we pray for our hearts to be prepared, pray for Chris, that as he uh, preaches to us from your word, uh, Lord, that you, you would fill him with your spirit as we would be filled with your spirit. And you would help us to hear, to savor, uh, to savor um, your goodness and, and to become more like you. But as we reflect on the gospel, as we remember um, not just the what of the gospel, but the who of the gospel and the, tra- the way that that transforms us um, from day to day, uh, that, that you would utilize these moments for that purpose. And so thank you, Father, for bringing Chris here and help us to hear um, from you through him and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, guys. Well, on February 16, 2009, Stamford, Connecticut, one of the most horrifying 911 calls maybe ever made came in. Quote, it's tearing her apart. 200-pound chimpanzee named Travis had turned on one of its owners, Charlotte Nash, and had inflicted such gruesome injuries that it became an international news story. I debated if I should bring a picture, but obviously uh, I decided that would not be wise since Charlotte Nash lost both of her hands and over 80% of her face in the attack. After the attack, it came out that this chimpanzee was, was much more than a pet to its owners. For years, the relationship between Travis and its owner resembled an almost romantic one, letting him roam free in the house, sharing glasses of wine with him, and even sharing his bed. And you guys are like, who is this guy, and why are you telling me about a chimp attack? I'm telling you this story because the the, the gospel reflection that we're studying today is a story about what happens when we get way too comfortable with something extremely dangerous. The story we're gonna see today is a story of a guy, instead of leaving something caged in where it belongs, he invited it in, and it ends up tearing him apart. The story is found in Mark chapter five. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. And guys, it's so good to be with you. I miss North, I used to sit right up there in the carousel. I left five minutes early every, every chapel. I'm sure you guys are going to leave five minutes early. I'm not throwing shade. But it's so good to be back here. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. Here it is. A man with an unclean spirit. Stop there. Now, if we're a first century Jewish audience, this man is as repulsive and unclean as a person can be. First, we see he's a Gentile. He's living in the, Ger- the Gerasenes. It's a Gentile country. Strike one. Second, in the law, if one ever even touched a corpse, they are ceremonially unclean. This guy is not only touching dead people, he's living with them tombs. Huge strike two. But maybe most shocking about this guy is not that he has made his home with unclean things. It's that unclean things have made him their home. He's possessed. 
apparently the demon is making him extremely violent. In Matthew's account, we're told that people couldn't even travel through this part of the country because he would attack everyone who did. Now, when it comes to demons, we have to know this. They don't just overtake helpless bystanders, right? It's not like you're just walking around doing your thing and then your head starts spinning and you climb up a wall. That is, that's not how demons work. What demons do is they grab hold of unrepentant sin. They grab hold of unrepentant sin, and then they gradually increase in influence and power over the sinner until the sinner's body and mind is, in fact, compromised over to Satan. So instead of fighting sin, you indulge it, you embrace it, and you lose control. So this guy in Mark 5 is possessed because he probably for years has been embracing and indulging in some sin. And so what do people around him do? See it in the text. Mark 5, verse 3. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. You guys, they tried to shackle him like a dog. Note this. In dealing with sin, it's always our first reaction to, to try to use external means. So, so if you're struggling with something, what you need is a new medication. What you need is some new friend, girl, you just need some new shoes, right? Maybe you need a new diet, maybe you need a new book. For this guy, it's you need a new chain. And my question for you is, what is he feeling? You know, we talk about the historical context and the theological context and the textual context. What about the emotional context? What is this man feeling? Because he wasn't born the spawn of Satan. Right? He was a real person with real parents, real siblings, real friends. Somehow he gets involved in some dark things, and now he finds himself living with decomposing bodies, going in and out of consciousness as the demon does what it pleases, and the only human interaction he has is when he's attacking someone or when someone comes to put on a new cold chain. What is this guy feeling in Mark chapter? Don't guess. Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, here it is, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Point one, my sin is made me miserable. My sin is made me miserable. The reason Mark spends nearly an entire chapter on a demon-possessed man is because God wants us to see where sin leads in Northwestern. It's, it's loneliness, it's isolation, and it's misery. For the last couple of years, my favorite sin has been the sin of gluttony. And you might look at me and laugh and go, bro, your favorite sin is the sin of gluttony, but it's made me miserable. I'm not laughing. Hundreds and hundreds of times when I could have been alert and Alive and vivacious and energetic. I've been sluggish and lethargic and sleepy and sad. And hear me, it's made me a crappy husband and a crappy dad as a result. Can you see how your favorite sin is making you miserable? How your porn habit is making you feel like the smallest person on earth? How your obsession with you is just leaving you flat out exhausted? 
You get up every day and it's just you, 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 and you go to bed just wiped out. How your sheer laziness is keeping you from everything God wants you to do. How your laziness is keeping you from everything God wants you to be. Can you see how your sin is making you miserable? Just to be a little vulnerable here, go ahead and raise your hand if you can say, yeah, I can see how a sin of mine is really not working for my joy, but it's Instead of falling upon Jesus in attack, the demon falls before Jesus in tearful surrender. You guys, point two. <laughs> Mercy masters misery. I'm on a campaign to blow up the version of Jesus where he just speaks softly and loves his enemies and sits cross-legged in green pastures and pets lambs. Guys, in this passage, we know people can't even walk into this part of the country and in verse 6, before Jesus' sandals hit the sand, the possessed man's knees are on the ground. Jesus is mastering the demon. But here's the crazy thing. It's not just one demon. Look at verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, there's the demon speaking, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion was the largest unit of troops in the Roman army. It was a battalion of about 6,000 soldiers. And so if you're reading this literally like I am, we're not talking about a demon here. We're talking about 6,000. Throughout scripture, you guys, demons are all about showing off their power. For example, in the book of Acts, seven Jewish exorcists team up to go out, to go out and, and exorcise a single demon. And, and in, verse, uh, in chapter 19, it says, The demon, quote, mastered all of them and overpowered all of them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Side note, if you get in a scuffle with a demon and you leave naked and wounded, you lost, bro. Like, you just, let there be no uncertainty. If a demon keeps your boxers, you've lost that fight. I say that because in Acts, one demon stripped and beats seven grown men. But in Mark chapter 5, an army of 6,000 demons are on their knees before Jesus Christ. Mercy masters misery and they're not only on their knees look at verse 10 and he now we're talking now we know what that means we're talking 6,000 demons and he the 6,000 demons begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country do you know why our culture is so fascinated with demons because you guys the demonic is the scariest thing out there we eat this stuff up, we watch movie after movie because we know that the demonic is the most terrifying thing you and I could ever face. And I just want you to see Northwestern, the scariest thing you could ever face 
times 6,000 is on its knees begging for mercy from Jesus Christ. This is holy swagger. If this were a boxing match, I'd want my money back, right? Nobody even touched anybody. You're already on your knees crying for mercy for all the powers of darkness. Mark 5, this is just flat-out embarrassing. And now it gets worse for them in verse 11. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Verse 13, so he gave them permission. When was the last time you asked permission to go somewhere? Probably when you were living at home, right? You, you only ask permission to go somewhere from someone who has complete authority over where you're supposed to go. So he had 6,000 demons asking Jesus for permission. And then he mercifully grants it. Verse 13. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the pigs. See the guys sinking the boat? Yeah. The sin is at the bottom of this sea. Many of us in this room have been living in tombs of sin. We've made patterns, uh, our sin patterns our home. We've made our sin patterns our way of life. And Jesus is calling you today in Mark chapter 5 to come out of your tomb. Come out of your tomb and meet mercy. Come out of your tomb and meet the master who will master your misery. dead pigs. Someone needs to answer for it. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when Jesus came, and when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, he was sitting there, circled at, the position of a disciple, clothed and in his right mind, They began to beg Jesus to depart from the Middle East. So now we see more begging going on. This time it's not the demons, it's the townspeople, and they're begging Jesus to leave. And my question is, why? Well, what was it the, the huge financial loss of 2,000 pigs? Was it maybe the fact that most of them now are out of jobs? I think the reason the townspeople asked Jesus to leave is because they realized Jesus is on a whole other level of power than the demons. I think they thought, you know what, we can kind of control the demons. We're used to this. Just throw a new chain on once in a while. Don't go into that part of the country. We'll, we'll all be fine. But that, that can't be controlled. That's too powerful. That's too unpredictable. That's too 
uncomfortable, and so they did the math, and they figured they would rather have sins tamed than the one who masters sin but cannot be tamed. They would rather live with sin somewhat under control than a Savior who cannot be controlled, and so they prayed maybe the saddest prayer ever prayed. masses are making a mistake. Do you see the great irony in Mark chapter 5? Who's the one actually out of their minds? Because the demon-possessed guy is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and the town just asked the king of the universe to leave their pathetic town. Who's the one actually bound by their sin in this passage? Who does Satan have more influence over, really? You know, I think some of us this morning are kind of like the demon-possessed man. You've been living in a tomb of sin, and the call on your life this morning is come out and meet mercy. But loved ones, I think for most of us, we're the townspeople. I think most of us have asked Jesus to leave parts of our lives in 10,000 subtle ways. When Jesus has come to us and Whoever loves his life must lose it, but whoever hates his life must remain in it. And that's what Jesus says. I love my life. Leave it and remain in it. You guys, we've all done the math in some areas of our lives and came to the conclusion that sometimes it's just better to ask Jesus to leave. I want to live for my career. I want to live for comfort. I want to live for sex. I want to live for me. I want to live for recognition. The Bible calls that idolatry. But you see, idolatry is more convenient and conducive to the way I want to live my life. And so I'll just try to keep it as tame as I can. I'll just throw a new chain on it. I'll just, if it really acts up, maybe I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll just try to keep my sin as tame as it can be, Jesus. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friend. 
tell them how much the Lord had done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went home and began to proclaim to the captors how much Jesus had done for them. And they were in awe of him. Here's my question. Why doesn't Jesus let this guy go in? I don't get that. He's come out of his tomb. He's been freed from his sins. Unlike the townspeople, he actually wants to be with Jesus. Why does Jesus say no? In fact, I don't know if you caught this, but three prayers are prayed in Mark chapter 5, and this is the only one answered with a no. The 6,000 demons ask Jesus if he may leave. I'm sorry, if they may leave, Jesus says, go ahead. The townspeople ask Jesus if, if he will leave, and Jesus says, I'm gone. And now the man who's been saved and transformed by Jesus asks if he can go with Jesus, and Jesus says no. My question to you is why? Here's the answer in verse 19. See this. If you did not permit him, but said to him, hear this, go home to your friends. What's at home? You see, this, this guy wanted to go on the road with Jesus where his life of sin and demon possession would be completely unknown and hidden. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to go back to your friends. To those who know everything so they could see how much the Lord had had mercy on you. Which brings us to our fourth point. Mercy makes Mercy makes misery seem easy. You know, one of the tombs that I lived in all of my life was the tomb of same-sex attraction. And I can tell you guys for hours about how that tomb made me completely miserable. How it brought nothing but isolation and loneliness and misery. But by God's grace, mercy called my name. Jesus called me out of the tomb of homosexuality and the tomb of same-sex attraction and amazingly he started weeding those desires out of me and then he gave me a jesus loving wife and and two beautiful boys and i can stand here before you this morning and say by grace i'm not who i was but you see for years i didn't tell anyone about this tomb when i was a student here at northwestern nobody knew this about me i'd come to chapel nobody knew that I go to class. Nobody knew that. I'm in pastoral studies classes. I can't tell anybody about my tomb. And then about a year ago, the Lord marked five me. <laughs> he said, Chris, I'm, I'm going to make your misery into your ministry. I want people to know your tomb so that they would know my triumph. And so I started writing some articles for Desiring God, and they kind of blew up. reached out to me and I've been able to call them out of their tombs and into life and life abundant with Jesus Christ and, and I think that's what we see happening in this passage I think, I think that's why Jesus sends this guy home and I think, you guys, I think Jesus wants to send you home if you go, what's the application of Mark chapter 5, it's verse 19 go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on that's my challenge for you this week. Sometime this week, tell someone your tomb. 
And I don't mean some watered-down, generic, sometimes the things you struggle with. I mean, get specific. Tell it all. Lay it out there. Why? Because 2 Corinthians 12 says, God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, you should boast gladly in your weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. You say, well, that doesn't sound safe. Following Jesus isn't safe. You say, well, that sounds really uncomfortable. Following Jesus is really uncomfortable. But loved ones, this is why God has allowed you to be in the tomb. This is the whole reason God allowed you to be in the tomb, because he wants the tomb to tell of the triumph. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry, catch this, that I received. Ministry is not achieved. Ministry is received. You don't get to choose your ministry. Your misery chooses your ministry. And that's why we go home and tell our friends. Mercy makes misery into ministry. Can I just show you one more thing and then we'll be done? Look in your Bible, Mark 4, 35. We're just going back one passage. Mark 4, it's the passage right before the passage we just studied. Mark 4, 35, it says this. On that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And then what happens? See, above my passage, it says this. Jesus calms the storm. You guys remember that passage? Storm comes in. Everyone thinks they're going to die. Jesus is sleeping, and so they wake him up, and Jesus stands up, and you guys shut up. And then the boat gets to the shore, and then it's the passage we just studied in Mark chapter 5. So here's my question. We always talk about the storm, right? My goodness, I'm sure you have heard so many sermons on Jesus calming the storm. Here's my question. Why did Jesus go through the storm in the first place? off 6,000 demons, kills 2,000 pigs, gets run out of town by the townspeople, and now look at this, Mark 5, verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed back over to the other side, Jesus gets into the boat and goes back home. You guys see what I'm saying? Jesus went through all of that for one naked violent, demon-possessed guy. Jesus went through all of that. He crosses a raging sea. He silences an epic storm. He goes through 6,000 demons, 2,000 pigs, angry townspeople for one man, and then gets back into his boat and goes back home. This is the gospel. Jesus crosses not only a sea, but heaven and earth for you. Just you! And then getting on his boat and going back home. Here's where this story is supposed to leave us, and here's where I will leave you. If Jesus would go through all of that for one naked, violent, demon-possessed man, 
what won't he do for you, O child of God? Let's pray. So Lord, right now we, we reflect on the gospel. And Lord, we confess that our sin has made us miserable. And we hear mercy calling our name. And so by faith, Lord, we repent of our sin and we come out of the tomb. Lord, would you master our misery? Would mercy master our misery and not only deal with it and throw it to the bottom of the sea, but Lord, would you supernaturally transform our sin and our misery and make it into our ministry? Lord, would you take our tombs this week let them tell of your triumph for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day, guys.